Politics Monday, setting the week's political agenda on Wellington Mornings. There we go. We've got even got your own personal sting for it. Uh, good morning to Kieran McAnulty, Labour MP for Wairapa, and Nicola Willis, Wellington-based National MP. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Good morning, Nick. You're looking at me very strangely there, Kieran. Oh, I can't help the way my face looks, Nick, but I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> You've given, given me that look as if, what's yeah. he going to start yeah. with? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's start with... Uh, the top story of last night on TV3, anyway, News Hub Read Research Poll indicates that if they were correct, Labour can no longer govern on their own. Karen? Yeah, well, I don't actually think that's too much of a surprise. What was a surprise was the fact that we could govern alone at the election. When MMP was devised, it was done and so in a way that uh, majority governments weren't anticipated. Many of the parliamentary rules were written without the expectation that there'd be parties larger than 45 seats. So in that respect, it's not a surprise. And uh, I think it's also fair to say that if we, as a party, got 43% at the last election, we would have been happy. So I'm pretty relaxed about the result, to be honest. Do you feel like I do that the pendulum might have swung, though? Do you feel that people are now starting to voice their disapproval on some of the ways that Labour are governing? Oh, yeah, I've, I've just spent the last three weeks out in my electorate, like Nicola has. I did have the last weekend off, I'll be honest, but the rest of it I was out and about. And uh, I think it's pretty fair to say that there are some challenges facing the government. There's no doubt about that, and there's no point denying it either. And we've got to front up to that. You know, we're in a unique situation here with COVID uh, presenting so many challenges. And even our success stories, like uh, the level of construction at the moment is, is facing challenges because of COVID. There's a lot of... A lot of uh, concern out there as to what's to come. But it's our job as local MPs to go out, hear that message, pass that back to our caucuses and our ministers as well. But ultimately, we're not going to shy away from the fact that there's still 43% of the population that are willing to vote for us. And if you look at other polls that indicate that, aside from party allegiances, a vast majority of the country are happy with how the country has handled COVID. Nicola, you would have been reasonably excited by seeing that, but... The Nats only got 1.7% increase. They didn't get it, did they? ACT got all the, the increase. So there's still obviously a real issue with the public and the National Party. Well, look, I think the big number in that poll, Nick, was the almost 10-point drop for Labor. And that is very significant because it shows a big drop in confidence in and support for the government. And look, our view as the opposition, our role as the opposition is to hold the government to account for things we don't think it's delivering on. And we're starting to see that come through in the views of New Zealanders, whether it's housing and the lack of delivery there, whether it's the lack of responsiveness to our immigration challenges, the ute tax, free speech, all of these issues have built up uh, and people are saying we're not happy. So the next job, you're right, is for National to convert that into more support for us. Look, we're going up in this poll. That's positive. Uh, and overall, uh, confidence in the government's dropped. So but, things are moving in the right direction. But David Seymour is going up quicker. And a lot of the public feel that he's the opposition voice, not the Nats. Oh, look, good on him, but National still has more than twice the support that he has, more than double the support he has. He came in after this election uh, with more MPs, more resources. You'd expect him uh, to be delivering with that. 
Uh, but look, our focus as a party has to be on the job we have to do. There's still much more work for us to do, but the momentum is in the right direction. And we're going to be, as a caucus, working very hard on the vision for the future, the policy ideas that New Zealand needs. Because what I'm sensing when I'm out and about, just as Kieran is, uh, is that people don't really see a plan from this government for how we emerge as this pandemic goes on. Uh, and they're concerned that the government's become both a bit arrogant and a bit complacent. So it's National's job to present a credible alternative. The surprise for me, being honest, when I saw the poll, Karen, I'll start with you on that one, was Winston Peters. Suddenly he does one party meeting, gets a lot of media attention. He's back up to 3.5% from the first appearance in 18 months. I suppose uh, if you look at the poll before the election, that does give you a pretty good steer as to, as, by way of comparison, and they are still lower than what they were then. So I'm not. But we've not heard anything. We don't know whether the party was going to go on, whether he was going to retire. We've heard nothing. One appearance, and he's back on knocking on the door. Yeah, I'm just not sure it can be put down to that one appearance however I mean ultimately New Zealand First has a pretty loyal support base and what I think we saw at the election was their their core coming out and that's probably reflected again in this poll but it is lower than what they polled before the election in the read research poll it's lower than what they performed at the election and I'm sure Nicola will agree polls are actually more relevant when you look at trends rather than one-offs and uh, yeah I mean I it's not really my style to put the boot into other parties. I'm more than happy to talk about what we're up to. But um, I wasn't asking you to put the boot in. I just thought it was quite surprising considering we've heard nothing, seen nothing, suddenly one mm-hmm. appearance and, and we're all talking about him again and he looks alive and well and, <laughs> and happy well, and unretired. Sure and smiling as well as a result. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you can rest assured, Nick, uh, I'm not talking about him. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's pretty simple, really. There's a group of voters um, who voted for Labour at the last election who are now looking for an alternative. Right. Do do the voters perceive Winston as left or right wing? I think it depends which voter you're speaking uh, with, but I think what they should all ask themselves is, is he principled? And I would venture no. Oh, look, I don't think anyone would have come to Nicola over the last three weeks and talked about New Zealand first. They certainly didn't come to me and talk about New Zealand first. Um, It's not something that is on the front of minds from those that I speak to. And the Greens Mm. moved up, and we've heard very little from them lately because I've got this uh, underlining feeling that there might be some leadership stuff going on there because we've heard nothing from the Greens. But they they did well out of this poll too, Karen. Yeah, they did. They did. And and, uh, so the, the, the government side, is still in a strong position. If it equated to seats, it'd be 10 seats more than the opposition. And I suppose, actually, in reality, that's how you got to look at polls in the MMP era, is that um, whom or what block would form a government as opposed to what party. Now that we don't have a centrist party that could go either way in Parliament and not polling above that 5%, it's pretty clear where those allegiances lie in Parliament, and that's how we would look at this poll. Nicola, do you reckon that it'll be brought up in the first caucus meeting you go to? Oh, look, our caucuses are broad ranging. We discuss uh, a lot of things. Obviously, there's been a three-week recess, so there's a lot of subjects for us to discuss. But there's one golden rule for caucus. Uh, We don't talk about what we talk about in caucus. Okay, all right. I understand that. But do you think, Karen, that it will come up, that the poll will come up in your caucus? Do you think they'll discuss it? Do you think it means anything, what I'm saying? Does it mean anything to you? Oh, we'd be arrogant not to take note of these things. You have been called that a bit, haven't you? Well, a lot of people call us a lot of things, but <laughs> no, um, ultimately is that's a, that's a term that gets chucked at governments willy-nilly regardless of who's in, who's in party, uh, parliament, sorry, in power. 
forgive me. That's right. But ultimately, um, it will be discussed, but we discuss polling regularly. We have, uh, like all parties, internal polling, and that comes to our caucus on a regular basis. So we are well tuned into how certain policies are being perceived and how they've gone down, whether we need to uh, put more effort into discussing certain things. And it's really important. It's, it's a commonplace of politics these days. And the key thing is to make sure that, you know, we've got 65 MPs, 40 of them aren't in the executive. Uh, for us, it's important that everyone gets an opportunity to feedback from their electorates and we make decisions as a caucus going forward. We're just going to take a short break. It's the political panel with Nicola Willis and Karen McAnulty, News Talk ZB. It's News Talk ZB, Wellington Mornings, and it's as on Monday, we always do have a political panel and we are joined by Nicola Willis, National List MP, and Kieran McAnulty, Labour Wire Rapper. How's my ute looking? I'll talk about that in a minute. I've got to, get, <laughs> got, to, I've got to ask a serious question. Health boards are trying to dodge accountability for understaffed hospital wards by refusing to offer penalty payments to nurses. The nurses' union says the strike is going to go ahead. Nicola, mm. what are yeah. your thoughts? Well, look, they're planning two strikes. And it is very concerning because we are in the midst of a global pandemic. This is a time when uh, the staffing of our hospitals is critically important to the safety and health of New Zealanders. So it's disappointing that it's come to this. You know, we have understaffed hospitals. We've seen emergency rooms overflowing. Uh, Christchurch Hospital recently had to issue a formal notice, well the workers did, the nurses did, to say that they were so concerned by the unsafe staffing levels that they were sending a notice to improve. So it is alarming um, that it's been able to get to this because I think when we all went into lockdown the expectation was that the government would give a lot of attention to making sure that our hospitals were up to scratch should uh, the virus uh, catch on here. Karen. Yeah, well, we're in the middle of a negotiation and both sides um, are going to be putting themselves in the best possible position. That's the nature of negotiations. And we support the nurses' right to be able to bargain collectively. That's a, a core plank of our industrial relations in this country. But I, uh, everyone's disappointed that it's got to this point. We were hopeful that we might be able to have the offer that was put to nurses agreed, the, the union itself uh, we're happy to put it to their members. In fact, uh, the, the offer that was put to the nurses was essentially the offer that was put to the government in the, at the start of this. So uh, unfortunately, they've rejected essentially their own offer. But what does remain on the, uh, the case is that the, the government is committed to avoiding industrial action wherever possible and getting agreement. There has been a commitment to improving conditions. There has been a commitment to improving wages. Uh, where a sticking point could be, uh, obviously I'm not privy to the negotiations, is that we are, uh, through the DHBs, putting an offer that would increase those that are getting paid the lowest the most. And uh, so if you do a blanket uh, inc uh, increase across the board, you actually only end up increasing inequality within a workforce. So we've made that clear that we want to make sure that the lowest paid are given the highest increases. And I'm hoping, as we all are, that uh, we can see agreement and move forward. I know you've said that you're not part of the negotiation, but mm. you'll obviously be uh, up with the player. Do you think it's close? Do you think that it's going to be resolved before strikes? Oh, look, I, I really, uh, I, I just want to make it clear that I might be chief whip, but I'm really not privy to those conversations. And so I, you wouldn't I, know? I, I don't want to steer your crook, really. Yeah, okay. I'd only be speculating, but I would hope that that's the case. 
we were really hoping that uh, the, the the indication that the nurses union gave by accepting the offer and agreeing to put it to the members was a good sign. But a union is just like any other membership organisation, well within its right to make its own decisions. But ultimately, uh, we are happy with the offer that we put forward. Um, there's this is on the back of an offer that was agreed previously, and has ultimately equated to a significant increase in both wages and conditions. So we just have to have faith that the DHBs and the nurses will ultimately agree. What are you hearing, Nicola? Well, look, it's striking to me that one of the key issues the nurses have identified in their negotiation isn't actually about their own pay. It's about staffing numbers. It's about the number of nurses. And one of the things I understand they're asking for is some transparency around how understaffed some of our hospital wards and emergency departments are. And I think New Zealanders would expect the government to be giving that the highest attention because we need those frontline resources more than anything else when it comes to treating people in our health system. I suspect that our closed borders and the approach to immigration is exacerbating uh, those issues because many nurses have been split from their families. They're migrant nurses uh, and some of them we, we know are packing up and going home. Uh, and the government's been really slow to move on those things. So I think it needs more attention, and I think every nurse should expect to be in a hospital that has enough staff. We on the station are getting it every day. We're getting people phoning in saying, the GP from Otaki's just left, uh, one in Northland, nurses. They, they've got the immigration department is letting us down. We know that there is issues going on, and we're not trying to beat up on the government for it, but surely, you know, doctors and nurses and teachers and engineers and and all the other farm workers that we really require when are we going to start is it going to start soon or do we just have to hold our breath and hope i think you can expect an announcement pretty quick i mean as an electorate mp i've written numerous letters to the immigration minister outlining the concerns of constituents that find themselves in heartbreaking situations frankly yeah and I don't, I don't shy away from the challenge that the government is trying to meet in preserving a secure border. We stand alone in the developed world as a country that's managed to avoid a second, wide, uh, second nationwide lockdown. But we are now in a position where we know that we can start to move and we've demonstrated that through exemptions for particular industries and you can expect more announcements of those in the coming week. Um, but, but it doesn't take away from how hard it is for these people and um, particularly those that are in really unfortunate circumstances where where a family's gone overseas, they've been trapped and they haven't been able to come back because they're permanent residents or citizens and balancing that out with the demand for New Zealanders to come home as well. It is a balancing act, uh, but we have heard, the, heard the, the message and as I say you can expect an announcement shortly. Okay, change of tact. Last night there was a pretty emotional uh, appearance by Jacinda Ardern, read the Dawn Raid apology. It was nice and it was good but experts are saying more actions needed. It should, have, should it have been accompanied by something else Nicola? Well look, National welcomes the apology and as uh, the Prime Minister and others have acknowledged uh, the policy of dawn raids was something that uh, started under a Labour government, was continued under a national government and both Labour and National today 
can reflect very clearly that it was unacceptable. Uh, it was racist and that um, we as a country targeted those from the Pacific Islands rather than American and British overstayers. And it has had a lasting legacy. Uh, it's remembered by those communities. Particularly, I think, it's acute because Pacific Islanders were actually coming to fill shortages in our labour market. Uh, and that was how we thanked them. And I think the thing that we all need to reflect on today is how we treat migrant workers now. Yeah. Uh, because we can be judged by that. Because there are two groups of people are caught up in the COVID restrictions. Yep. One is those are all, who are already here, and the second group is those who we may need uh, to help fill uh, skill gaps in the future. And we do as a country need to think about our legacy and think about how we treat people going forward. I, I'd just like to, before I come to you, Karen, I'd like to comment on that because uh, I grew up in Western Samoa as a child. And uh, I think that everything that I've seen on Dawn Raids, and I'm probably a little tiny bit young to understand it fully, but I knew what was going on and heard about it. And everything, the new movies and everything sort of depicting that they were violent, that, that the Samoan people were aggressive, the Black Panthers and the fists and all that. My recollection of it was that that wasn't the way. They were just humble people doing a job, mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. treated like they were something that they weren't. And I think that's been depicted badly uh, by the movie makers and the mm. powers of be. Mm. But do you think, Karen, that we've done enough or have started to do enough? Well, I think yesterday's apology was hugely significant. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't know too much about the history. It wasn't taught at my school. Um, and I haven't really seen it too much in popular culture. But when it really hit home, was when we were having a discussion about this in caucus. We've got a very large Pacific uh, contingent in our caucus. And the emotion, the tears, the, 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 the hurt that they not felt for themselves, but for their parents that went through this disgraceful episode demonstrated to me right there and then that this was the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, in the Pacific culture, um, after having discussions with many of my colleagues, is that words alone aren't enough. No. And so by backing it up, the apology yesterday with scholarships for Pacifica students, for funding towards incorporating learning this lesson alongside other lessons like the New Zealand wars in our curriculum, it's those things that actually showed people that this apology was sincere and genuine. And it was on behalf of the whole country. It wasn't a government thing. Yes. This was on behalf of the country for racist application of immigration laws. Yeah. And good on them for doing it. You're listening to the political panel. Oh, wow. It's such a it's such a emotive um, topic. Take a short break. We'll be back. Well, we're with the political panel, Karen McAnulty and Nicola Willis. The Human Rights Commission have just uh, launched a national inquiry into the housing crisis. They say governments have failed to give New Zealanders decent homes. Nicola, your thoughts on that? Well, there's an absolute shortage of housing in New Zealand. And I think what really upsets people is when Labour were elected in 2017, they came in on the promise they were going to solve New Zealand's housing challenges. And in fact, they've got a lot worse. We now have more than 4,000 families raising their children in motel rooms at a cost to the taxpayer of around a million dollars a day. That's unacceptable. 
But what I would say is the Human Rights Commissioner writing another report on that, does that get us ahead? Well, I'm not convinced that it's really going to solve the problem. And Karen, to be a little bit fair on your government that we've had COVID and millions of people, well not millions, but thousands and thousands of Kiwis have come home. So the housing problem was always going to get worse before it gets better, isn't it? I think that's fair, but it's not something that we're pushing because we know the responsibility we have. Uh, I also think it's fair to say that uh, the housing crisis wasn't of our making, but it is our responsibility to sort it out. And so what the Human Rights Commissioner appears to be saying is that for too long, over successive governments, there hasn't been the action that's required. Now, this inquiry and discussion around this could actually get us to a point where, in political debate, we stop pointing fingers and actually talk about what the different sides of parliament are actually proposing to fix it, rather than uh, which we've moved on from, which I think is a positive of actually arguing whether or not there was a crisis and now everyone appears to agree that there is. And so let's start talking about how we're going to fix it. My personal view is that the solution is split in two. There is supply of affordable homes for purchase and there is supply or social housing and it is this on, on our side the government side it is our firm belief that the government has a responsibility to provide social housing by building it and working with community housing providers to increase supply and we have seen that uh, in terms of ho housing affordability this is always a tricky one so ultimately when we have proposed in the past tax measures to address that that didn't get the political support in order for that to be brought in. So we've looked at other things, increasing the Bright Line test, which was introduced under National, increasing that uh, further and looking at things like uh, interest deductibility on interest, uh, on, sorry, investment properties, but also splitting that out between existing properties and new builds. So if a property investor wanted to leverage their portfolio to build new houses, they would be exempt from those bright line rules and the interest deductibility. And the point being is that we need to increase supply. And when we see reports like the a record number of consents being issued last month, I think we are starting to see the movement that we need to to address this issue. Nick, I just want to respond to Kieran's uh, call that we focus on solutions because National has been very constructive in this space. Judith Collins started the year by writing to Prime Minister Ardern and saying, you've got a housing crisis on your hands. Yes, you're doing RMA reform, finally. We've been telling you to do that for years. Is that, is that but, still happening? It yeah, it's still happening. But look, it won't take effect until 2024 at the earliest, and that's by the government's own admission. So we said you need to do something urgent right now, emergency measures, and we will work with you on that because we think it's vitally important that more land is made available for housing right now. We subsequently drafted a detailed bill with some measures proposed to do that. And so I just wanted to fend National here. We've been bringing solutions to the table. We are very keen to see housing supply increase. But what we have consistently said won't work, and we've been proven right on that, is gimmicks like Kiwi Build. Because here we are, almost four years into a Labor government, 100,000 houses promised, and they've only just ticked over the 1,000 marks. So yeah. that sort of thing is unacceptable. And I think Labor have wasted time on those slogans and not got on with the real substantive reform that's required. Yeah, I think that's a great point to take a short break. We'll be back in a sec. News Talk ZB, I'm Nick Mills, here till 12 o'clock. I'm joined in the studio by our political panel, Karen McAnulty and Nicola Willis. 
The vaccination rollout is being called racist and up, upholding privilege, says one expert, with the rates of Maori about half overall and one in district a quarter of the national rate. Karen, if there's one thing that I do not agree with is that the rollout is racist because every time that I come on air, I hear about Marais and Polynesian groups and having these vaccination things. And, you know, they seem to be well catered for or at least been upfront about it. Why would someone say that? Yeah, I don't know, actually, to be honest. If, if they want to come and say, look, we think you should be doing it a little bit quicker. Cool. Let's have that yarn. <laughs> But I don't think that if, if there's a criticism uh, that could go towards the rollout, uh, it would be this. I mean, ultimately, there has been a real focus on ensuring that this rollout gets into our most vulnerable uh, communities. And I say vulnerable in the sense that they're most likely to be affected by COVID if there were community transmission. And that was deemed to be those of a certain age group, Māori and Pacifica. And we've just seen a hugely successful mix uh, uh, mass vaccination uh, centre set up and conducted over the weekend in South Auckland. And it was chosen in South Auckland because of its high proportion of Pacifica and Māori. Um, I myself have joined the Minister of Pacific Affairs and Chris Farfoy, Minister of Immigration, held a whanau in Masterton to sit down with our Pacifica community and talk about the concerns that they had, the hesitance that, that they had around the vaccination. And on the whole, even though there are some out there, not insignificant number of people that are uh, anti-vaxxers, I've noticed a real shift from hesitancy to a keenness to get it. And I think it's because of that, that focus that we've had to target and communicate and do it in a culturally appropriate way. Sensitive way, yeah. yeah. Mm. Nicola? Well, Nick, I'm much more concerned about the variability between DHBs than I am about the variability uh, between Māori, Pacifica and other population groups. Look, in reality, um, the Māori population is a lot younger. Uh, we have prioritised older New Zealanders first in the vaccine rollout. I agree with doing that, given how vulnerable they are. But my concern is really that we all need to get on and get the vaccine. So I want to share with your listeners uh, that I had my first uh, vaccine shot uh, on hit? Friday, not at all. It was a, you know, I've, I've given birth to four children though, Nick, so everything's relative, you know? Um, uh, but, well, we can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but look, it wasn't painful at all. I'm feeling great. And look, for, for those who may be having a reflection on whether or not they should have the vaccine, just remember, it's not just about you. It's actually about your family members who might be vulnerable. It's about your work colleagues. It's about your community. And actually, it's about our country. Because if we want to ever be able to open up to the world again, if we want to be able to have people come and visit us, if we want to visit other countries, we need a high rate of vaccination. So get on and do your bit. Do you realise you've just made me a little bit more screamish? Because I, I too, <laughs> I haven't personally given birth, but I've been there when my wife's given birth to two oh, children. And if you're comparing taking the jab to giving oh, birth, oh, I'm not going to get it done. I, I withdraw and apologise. I yeah. want your listeners to know it's not even anywhere near that. It was I barely knew she'd done it. She said it's going to be just a little prick, and I thought, have you done it yet? So it was not not a biggie at all um, and look uh, the nurses are great in there the information's great and um, look of course some people have some side effects I acknowledge that but certainly I'm feeling very well and oh, um, I encourage everyone to go ahead uh, at the Harbour Gateway Centre in Wellington um, and it was a bit of a factory operation and it was good Okay. No, no, no pain. No pain. I tell you, it's a tiny, tiny little syringe. Um, anyone who's had any injection before, it's at the absolute lower end of the scale. So just go for it. Karen, when are you lined up? I suppose being a member of parliament, you'd have to be pretty soon, wouldn't you? No. Nah, well, I was asked 
to buy the Wired Up for DHB if I'd be interested in going early to try and encourage others to do so. Um, I chose to just wait my turn. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that to have a crack at others. I, I say good on you, Nicola, for doing it now. There does need to be a mix of that. But I've sensed in our community that it has, as I suggested earlier, moved away from large-scale hesitancy, whilst that does remain to some extent, to a willingness to get it. So the purpose of me going early was to encourage people to get on with it. Now they're keen to do it, I'm happy to wait my turn. But when that time comes, you know, I'm 36, I'm fit and healthy, I, I don't need to go anytime soon. But when it does come, I'll do exactly what Nicola has done and put it out there and encourage others to do it. I know that there's some that are worried about needles, but I'm sure the stories I've heard and, and Nicola's testimony, these are absolute professionals and they will make sure that it is a seamless process and not painful and you get a cup of tea and a bicky afterwards. I think a lot of pop. <laughs> don't get carried away with your promoting. Uh, don't overpromise. I no, don't think no, you get a cup of tea. And a, no, I think no, you, get a, you just a get a lollipop. No. You know, you just get a lollipop. Well, that, that oh, may what? be a masters and special. Nick, I do want to clarify because I know your listeners will be interested in this. I haven't queue jumped. I haven't got a special um, no, 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 place no, no, because yeah. I'm an MP. In fact, I understand I was put in group three because I have an underlying asthma condition. Okay. So yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, that certainly wasn't my suggestion. Yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, nor mine. I mean, Excellent. Uh, yeah, Excellent. but I think Karen that you should get it because you're working with a lot of people, and you know you 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 know you could Without be a spreader. question. When yeah. when my turn comes up, I will 100% get it. Ah, great guys, we can let you go and do some work now, some real work. Uh, Nicola Willis and Karen McAnulty, uh, thanks for joining the panel as always on a Monday. Uh, let's see you. Uh, you have a great week in Parliament, and we'll catch you next week. Have Join a great you, week.